This is Sherry Rice. Welcome to Access to Healthcare's weekly podcast, where we bring you local and national guests on a variety of topics important to you and your family. Today, our discussion will be about choices and the decisions that we make. Does our personality influence how we make our decisions? Is there such a thing as too many choices? Can personality tests give us insight into how and why we make our choices? Our guest today is Nora Ann Brooklocker, a local marriage and family therapist with Sierra Sunrise Wellness. Nora Ann's going to help us answer some of these questions. Welcome, Nora Ann. Hi, guys. Hi. Good to have you back. You're, you're a staple on this podcast. We've done so many, so many great podcasts on a variety of different topics, and this one, I think, is, is very interesting for people. Um, a lot of us know and many of us have taken them, but I don't think we're quite aware to the depths of which our personality can influence what we do. Do people respond to choices differently, Moran? Yeah. So uh, in specific, I would say that it depends on what their circumstances are and where they are at with something. Um, but there are certain styles of decision makers out there as well. Um, so two styles of decision makers in particular were identified by psychologist Herbert A. Simon um, in the 1950s. He described the maximizers and the satisficers. A maximizer is someone who is driven to make the best possible choice, which means that sometimes they have to evaluate all the options, all the choices on the table, almost exhaustively and meticulously. Um, And paradoxically, they actually might be less satisfied with that ultimate choice um, than someone who did less research. So um, the satisficer is kind of a compilation of the two words satisfy and suffice. Um, They tend to be those who are content to choose options that just essentially adequately meet their requirements. So they might not um, spend all of that additional time overthinking the options. Um, And I think that uh, there tends to actually be a bit less regret with some of the choices uh, that have been made. So each definitely plays a part, but um, I know that my husband and I tend to be a little bit on the opposite sides here. He tends to be a maximizer. He goes to, say, like when choosing a new car, he'll go um, onto all sorts of databases and tries to find all the different ways, like consumer reports, and and discover what is going to be the absolute best, whereas me, I'm like, yeah, that'll work. (laughs) And uh, I appreciate his take on things, and he appreciates mine as well. We both add something to the table, but we do respond to our choices presented to us a little bit differently. So the first one was the maximizer. They evaluate everything, and the other the other one is called what, where the options meet your requirements, so you choose it? Right, the satisficer. Uh, initially, I thought satisficer. that was a, a typo, and I was like, did, did they just yeah. spell that wrong? No, a satisficer, yeah. so satisfy and suffice. <laughs> well, that's interesting. I'm a, I'm a satisficer, uh, but I will go find myself uh, the maximizer. Mm-hmm. I, I will right. find myself the maximizer and ask them if they'll do all the research. <laughs> because, yeah. Or, you know, it, like, for instance, um, and I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but I'm older than you, you all are, but it seems like now there's way too many choices 
in the grocery stores. I mean, you look at the yogurt, and there's so many that you just kind of, my eyes kind of glaze over, you know. So you're right. Mm-hmm. What I do is I look for the one with the least sugar, and mm-hmm. that satisfies what I think is uh, is what I want versus mm-hmm. reading all of the ingredients and looking at each and every one. Does that make sense? I, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you're so yeah. right. There's There's so many options for whatever it is that you're interested in. And I definitely think that it can be really overwhelming at times. Well, it it is for me as a satisfizer, and it can be overwhelming. It, so that leads to is there choice overload? And I would say for me sometimes there is choice overload. Right. Yeah. Um, Barry Schwartz described in his 2004 book, The Paradox of Choice, Why More is Less, that having an overabundance of choices available can actually cause a great deal of anxiety and stress, Um, that it it can actually be pretty problematic sometimes even um, when there's just so many options on the table because there's almost that, um, have you heard the term FOMO, the fear of missing out? (laughs) So if I choose this option, then it's almost like mutually exclusive to this other option that might also be available. Um, And when you have fewer options on the table, there's perhaps a higher level of confidence in what it is that you have chosen. Well, especially if what you're choosing is permanent. I mean, I immediately think of uh, the backsplash in your Mm -hmm. kitchen or the tile in the bathroom. I know that's uh, that's all a decorating thing, but those tend to be permanent. And you've got so many choices; it, it can be quite anxiety-producing when your choice is going to have to have to be permanent for a while. Right, right. There is certainly um, there are so many thousands of decisions every single day, and some are easy, and some are much more complex. But each one of those decisions um, have implications, and that might regard time or cost, like a backsplash, you know, to replace a backsplash is going to cost, and it's going to take time. Um, There's definitely going to be effort and feelings involved, and so I think that when it comes to the the decision maker, um, there's just oftentimes so much that uh, hangs in the balance of each and every one of those decisions. Um, and again, it's so nice when it can be really easy, like, oh, I'm just going to go that. <laughs> but then there are other times where um, there are certain things that really could make a huge difference into our life and um, kind of these junctions that we come to as to where our life could go from that point forward. Um, Brene Brown calls them sliding door moments based on the, the movie Sliding Door. Uh, or um, Maybe that's what it's called. <laughs> Uh, Anyway, (laughs) Um, but it's this movie with Gwyneth Paltrow, and she um, has this moment where she either gets on the train or she doesn't, and um, the, the movie then splits. And it goes in two very different directions, one where she finds out that she's been cheated on and another where she doesn't know. I saw that movie. Yeah. I remember. Oh, my God. And so that that um, she she uh, coined this phrase, the sliding door moment where. Uh, it's as simple as, you know, making it on the train or not. But, you know, so many of our decisions aren't necessarily quite so intense in terms of implications. But, you know, certainly sometimes they are. Yeah, They are. And what about in a relationship when you have two maximizers? Do they (laughs) – 
who decides how far down the rabbit hole you go? Is that a can that be a source? I'm assuming of um, a little bit of contention there. On uh, one goes down the rabbit hole ninety percent, but the other one wants to go a hundred. Right. So there sometimes can be this analysis paralysis, um, uh, and I think that there are times where we get to the point where we feel as if we need to just pick something because it's become so overwhelming or time-consuming. However, fatigue, enthusiasm, so even though you're really excited about it, or even authority, like I'm going to make this decision, um, they don't necessarily equate to the greatest of outcomes. Um, So there's sometimes is the feeling of, well, we'll just decide now and deal with the consequences later. Um, but I think that more often than not, when it appears that somebody has really taken the the time to be thoughtful in uh, the the approach that they're they're going, uh, so thorough, thoughtful, and transparent in their process, um, they tend to have people who uh, have higher degree of support and commitment um, in backing them. So, do I would think that the satisfier goes with their gut more more of a feeling, and the maximizer goes on facts. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I would say that's probably very accurate. Um, I I think that as well, uh, there might be this differing, back to what I said earlier, this differing idea of what will satisfy. And I think that that can be one of those um, traits of where somebody um feels a sense of they, they don't know what direction to go or what to choose because they want the best of what is available to them. But ultimately, again, I think it comes down to sometimes we do have to trust whatever the decision is. And um, it can be extremely scary. Uh, ultimately, though, uh, there are times where we end up losing that window of opportunity. Well, let's let's translate this. I know we're going to get into personality tests, Norian, but let's translate this a little bit into the question which is on most people's minds right now is, am I going to get the vaccine? That, mm-hmm. that to me is one of those ultimate decisions that a uh, person who evaluates all choices and would do all their research on the vaccine, of which there is so much um, research you can do that's pro and con. I mean, it, it, really depends on what you trust, where a satisfier may look at it as a whole different um, view of saying, you know, my gut's telling me, my feeling is that I need to get this vaccine. Um, How does this all kind of relate to what people are struggling with right now on whether to get the vaccine? Gosh, that is such a great application to, to this. You know, I I definitely would say there are going to be those maximizers who want as much information as they can possibly get. Um, And I would say that sometimes, too, because there are lots of sources of information out there, um, and certainly getting kind of that that cost-benefit analysis of it, um, it, it can be really difficult because there are, okay, let me give you an example. For any medication out there, um, you know, say when we're watching TV and the commercial comes on for a particular medication, it lists all the things that could go wrong. 
And yes, it I does. Think part of that comes from, you know, a liability purpose of wanting to make sure people have all the information, certainly. But does that mean that that's what will happen for that person? No, not necessarily. So I think that that's the other part of it, too, is that um, certainly some people uh, might respond differently than others. Um, but when it comes to ultimately making this decision, I think sometimes we get that additional information in there and um, can really go down a rabbit's hole of all the things, again, that could go wrong. And one of the big things, too, I'll say is what are all the things that could go right? Um, Mm -hmm. Now, when it comes to somebody who's kind of in this uh, analysis paralysis, again, um, feeling very overwhelmed and uncertain as to what to do, they might want to also just bide their time. You know, I think that um, one of the biggest things I would say is don't do something that doesn't feel in integrity. Now, what that really means is when we feel in integrity, we feel kind of that sense of internal congruence. Whereas when we feel out of integrity, perhaps we're starting to feel kind of that push-pull back and forth where, you know, maybe we are deciding we're going to go ahead and do something, but there might be that sense of regret later. And so one of the biggest things I would say in terms of making this decision is it very is. It it very much is intimate to the person, Um, and with that said, I think the more incongruence that they feel about it, then the less sense of regret that they'll have later on down the road. I think what a lot of people perhaps have um, raised to me is, well, this is so new. It feels like it's rolled out way too fast. So sometimes getting some of the background of the science behind it, where it came from, again, as we discussed previously, uh, Dr. Pasternak described, it's been 15 years in the making. So what we Mm. are seeing is really the, the tip of the iceberg of what is there. So, uh, you know, as far as a sufficer, (laughs) um, excuse me, a satisficer uh, versus a maximizer on this one, um, the satisficer might simply look at the options. Is it adequate to meet the requirements of their needs? Um, And it might be that uh, when it comes to what's needed now, it it might be different than what's needed later. So I would say, you know, timing can be really important with this. Perhaps it is taking time to do the rollout, even though that technically uh, puts a little bit of an impediment on movements for this period of time, given that we are still in this global pandemic. Well, and sometimes the decision is made by a trusted source uh, Mm. telling you that they approve of, say, let's take, for instance, a vaccine, that one of my criterias was to wait and see if trusted sources, Dr. Fauci for me, um, a few other people, were willing to take the vaccine. And for me, that was the epitome of my research. I could research everything else, but for me, it was really about trusted sources showing me an example. Right. Right. I I definitely would say I tend to have a greater sense of trust in something when I see others who um, are are willing to do it as well. You know, there's always mm-hmm. the, the whole um, 
uh, do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> and so if that's the occurrence, then I probably would be less trusting um, versus somebody who really follows their own uh, their own words and um, they, they live as an example. Um, it, there isn't the expectation of uh, you're going to do this thing, but I don't have to. I, I think that that really doesn't sit well with the majority of people. And right. I think we have right. seen that in some of the um, – at some of the leadership level, you know, people having pictures or what have you when um, they've been out and, um, you know, that they've said these big things, but they haven't necessarily followed through in their own example, that tends to create a lot of distrust. But when it comes to this vaccine specifically, I would say that it um, definitely is helpful to see people at those higher levels um going through with it and in addition to that i think that vaccine distrust has been around for a really long time there's been a lot of information about um like say cause of autism when in fact there is no link to that um and i think that unfortunately sometimes uh, some of these things get espoused and then carried forward when it doesn't necessarily have that grounding uh, in in the the facts or the data behind it, but it gets carried forward kind of like the telephone game. Right. I I'm assuming, and I think we can see many examples that the the marketing organizations are fine tuned to this. I mean, it it's fascinating when you think of how many supposedly trusted sources they put when they're trying to sell you something that they put into the commercial. I mean, even William Shatner, who, you know, was Captain Kirk, a trusted source, I see him selling something. I don't know what it is, but I assume that they understand how we make our choices and that they do their uh, marketing with both people in mind, both the satisfizer and the maximizer, I'm assuming. Right. Yeah, yeah, marketing, yeah. boy, they, they can definitely dial in on um, some of the, the psychological aspects of how people operate, certainly. <laughs> well, so that makes it possibly even more important for us to identify and know how we each make our decisions. I mean, I'm already learning something about myself, which I already knew, but I didn't put into the words of I'm a satisfizer. I, I totally am. And so... So for me, not to make a, I don't know if it's impulsive, but more of a choice that isn't based necessarily on the kind of research and facts, uh, sometimes I will find somebody who obviously, without understanding the word, uh, I knew they were a maximizer. So how important is it that we understand how we make our decisions? When we can identify our process of decision-making, it can help us to understand and clarify the obje objectives for which we're striving toward. Um, messy decision-making often gives us less confidence in that final decision, um, and I think as well it can feel a bit muddled for others as well when perhaps you have to make a decision with somebody about something. Um, so the more that we can identify the process itself, regardless of what the decision is, just simply looking at what is your process, 
um, it can give a lot more clarity and understanding to not only yourself internally, um, but to those around you, especially when perhaps others are also dependent on the decision being made. So with that said as well, it might be, because again, as I said, my husband is a maximizer, and I love that about him. Um, sometimes it can get a little overwhelming for him, and he wants us to just, okay, pick a, pick a choice. <laughs> and so based on the research that he might have done about something, then ultimately I get to really look at all of that um, and then decide what feels like it's really going to satisfy the needs and go with it. So I think it, it, it's a both-and approach. I think both certainly play a part. Um, timing can also be important in it in that sometimes we don't have a lot of time to think about it and really do all the research that we would like to do. Or sometimes, again, we can wait it out a little bit to see what other information comes forward that gives us that higher level of confidence. Um, but in those cases, sometimes the decision is made on our behalf, meaning that, um, let's see here, what, what's the best way to put it? I think that sometimes there's fear of making the choice and fearing it's going to be the wrong choice. And mm-hmm. uh, and then there might even be hope that it's made from some external source. Um, but with that said, I think that sometimes it can come along as like avoidance of making the decision, and um, that can actually cause more harm than good in some situations. Well, no choice can be a choice. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Putting off a choice, I mean, it. that's also something that, Maybe good, maybe not good. Give yourself more time, or putting it off because of the fear that you'll make the wrong choice, or putting it off just out of the fear. Um, let's talk a little bit about personality. What is personality? We we use that word. I really like his personality. I really like her personality. It's an interesting thing because I know I've talked to um, a lot of my directors on hiring and interviewing people. And I will hear them say, well, I really liked his or her personality. It's fascinating to me. So what is personality, Noran? So the currently agreed upon definition is that personality refers to a person's distinctive patterns of thinking, feeling, and behaving. And I would also say that it is a composite of both nature and nurture. So we are born into the world with what are likely to be some natural predispositions, um, usually genetic. And as we gain experience in our external environment, we might become shaped in our personality based on the personalities of those around us, as well as uh, specific events that happen to occur over the course of our lives. So personality can be um, kind of that stabilized mode of operation in the world, um, but it also can certainly dramatically be impacted depending on what is happening around us. So our personality is a composite of many things, and then it affects our behavior, which can affect our choices. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, let me give you an example. So um, 
let's say that somebody is a highly agreeable, very outgoing personality type. However, then they've had a massive trauma that occurred and their personality might dramatically alter. Um, So let's say that person ends up with, say, PTSD, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, With that, they might be much more um, anxiety-prone, less outgoing. They might um, perhaps even perceive things uh, through that lens uh, that they might not have previously. So um, one of the big things I'll say here as well is that, of course, that, that's a pretty extreme example. Um, but in general, uh, personality traits very well can be pretty predictive to how somebody would respond in a given experience. Um, but even more broadly, perhaps even the fields of work that someone might gravitate toward. So certainly personality does influence our behavior um, and also our perception of the world. So when someone's saying, I really like her personality, what is it that they're really saying? What they've, uh, or sometimes we say, you know, I really meshed with that person or, but a lot of times we actually use the word personality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So again, it's, it's that composite of, of how that person perhaps presents themselves um, and some of their, uh, their, modes of operation in the world, Um, and some people are perhaps going to resonate with that more so than with other personality types. Um, Mm -hmm. So I I tend to myself be pretty conflict avoidant, um, but sometimes I really resonate with those who are willing to really look at the conflict and talk it out, Um, although I would say those who really like conflict or or even try to create conflict are probably going to be people I don't mesh with as well whereas they're going to mesh well with some other type. So I, I think that when it, when it comes down to it, personality, again, is sometimes, um, again, how that person operates in the world, and it can also be expressive to differing needs. So it sounds like it, it's a good thing for us to know our personality. Um, it helps us to know ourselves and many of the different facets on uh, both nature and nurture and the composite of it. How does that right. then uh, move into the personality test? So I think that um, when it comes to personality tests, it, it can help us to understand where perhaps some of those differing needs might come about. Let me give you an example. The Uh, Myers-Briggs personality test uh, has four different areas. Um, So the first one being introversion versus extroversion. Now, when you uh, are hearing that as well, I hope it's from the understanding that it's it's a spectrum. It doesn't mean that you're only introverted or you're only extroverted. You're somewhere in between. Um, Mm -hmm. But in terms of the needs of that, it's going to be a little bit different. So um, it, it tends to be that extroverts are a little bit more focused on the outer world, whereas introverts tend to be a little bit more more focused on their inner world. Um, An extrovert tends to get more energy by spending time with others, whereas that introvert tends to recharge by spending time alone. Um, 
And I think that when it comes to, uh, let's say, COVID, um, differing experiences were had by introverts and extroverts. Now, I don't want to just put an overgeneralized statement out there to say that this is how one group versus the other experienced it, because certainly it it can be very different. Um, My husband, as an extrovert, was practically climbing up the wall, whereas me, as an (laughs) introvert, I spent my time in the garden and was just happy as a clam in that regard. Um, You know, for me, it was kind of a relief to not have to go to a bunch of events and and do all sorts of things, whereas for my husband, he really loves being out and about and doing so many different things. So in terms of our needs during this last year, they were met a little bit differently um, or they were uh, pained a little bit differently, you could even say. That's fascinating. Um, let's talk a little bit more about specific personality tests. Are they uh, trustworthy? Are they a good idea? Um, do they help us identify things about our personality that are important for us to know? So I would also say, you know, try to take it with a grain of salt. It it certainly is going to, in my opinion here, um, have perhaps a bit more grounding in in research than, say, um, astrological signs. And I don't mean to put down anybody who, who believes in astrology per se. I think that's very interesting. But I tend to have a little bit more of a sense of this really fits a bit more with me, Um, but in terms of this idea of trust, um, across an astounding number of studies, uh, the Big Five, for example, has been shown to predict satisfaction with life, education and academic performance, job performance, um, and satisfaction, relationship satisfaction, and divorce physical health, health health-related behaviors, how long people live, and so much more. Um, So I do think that personality correlates with these things. Um, And I think that there are other... So the big five specifically is extroversion, agreeableness, conscientiousness, emotional stability, and openness to experience. Um, And there tends to be in those uh, five categories, individual characteristics that cluster together in people. Mm-hmm. So, for example, mm-hmm. um, sociability, it might include, uh, in, in extroversion, might include like assertiveness, um, activity level, cheerfulness, excitement seeking. Um, and uh, when it comes to these different uh, personality tests, I think it's also dependent on the source that you're taking, the, the test that you're taking itself. So one of the things that I often see is people will take their Myers-Briggs uh, personality type on 16personalities.com, but 16personalities.com, that test is actually really much more based on the big five. So there is a little bit of shift that might occur depending on the day and how that person is feeling when they're taking it. So when it comes to the particular test that you are taking, I think it is really important to uh, ensure the source uh, from which you're you're getting that test. Um, definitely, probably the how, most accurate. How do we do that? How do well, we the ensure the? Yeah. 
Sorry. Well, the Go most ahead. accurate is going to be probably by seeing a, a licensed psychologist. So that's going to be PhD level. They're typically the ones that will be able to offer specific tests, you know, a personality psychologist of, of, of something along those lines. Um, but in addition, uh, when you have taken a test, it might also be helpful to then go over those results with, uh, with a counselor, um, somebody who has a real understanding of what those specific components mean. Um, and in addition to that, say the Enneagram Institute, it might cost, it does cost $12. However, you um, are going to have more perhaps assurance of the specific questions that are being asked versus, say, taking a free test, which very well might still point you in the right direction as to where you're landing, um, but there might be a slight less bit of confidence in the, in the results. Um, and again, at any any one of these tests, um, while I think they're extremely, extremely helpful, and again, they can help us identify conflicts, oftentimes I'll have um, my clients, especially couples, um, to take these tests. So I can see where sometimes the way that they're communicating um, is not necessarily being best heard by the other. So, for example... Somebody, again, I go back to Myers-Briggs on this one, um, somebody who might be more of a sensing type, uh, that is going to be somebody who has uh, real attention to detail. Um, they're really focusing on what is real and concrete and in the present, um, might be at odds to a degree with somebody who is more intuitive. They are seeing the bigger picture and they're focusing on what is possible. They might be thinking more in abstract terms. So, any one of these is not good, bad, right, or wrong. It's just, again, simply more so how somebody functions in the world. And I think that that can really help us identify where some of our conflicts are coming in, um, and especially in regard to our needs. Well, let's go back again uh, for people that are listening about taking the test, because there's a lot of options online for the test. The Enneagram that you talked about, I know there's an institute, and so what I hear you saying is that, that that's reputable that um and it costs twelve dollars and uh but what about the Myers Briggs? So uh the the particular one that I uh like to offer to my own clients is uh via IRDlabs dot com um and in that you would input M B T I uh Myers Briggs uh type indicator. Um, and uh, that one is free, um, and that's generally the one I like to offer because it, it fits a little bit more along. Um, it, it, it tends to be more accurate to what that person's um, Myers-Briggs type is. Um, but with that said, again, um, certainly there are other types that you, or excuse me, other tests that you'd be able to take. Um, they might cost. They might not. Um, but again, sometimes what you can do is try a few different tests and see if there is some level of correlation between the, the different ones that you do. Um, because you might get a few different results, um, but ultimately I think as well one of my favorite parts of the IRD Labs test is that it shows you percentage on the spectrum. So it mm-hmm. might show that you're maybe 60-40 or that you're maybe even like 45-55. So you're actually really kind of on the cusp and you might get some differing results. 
Um, but that, too, is interesting in its own sort of way in that sometimes somebody really might be um, between head and heart. Let, let me give you an example on, like, the thinking-feeling aspect of it. Um, so somebody who is making decisions based on logic versus somebody who's making decisions based more on their values or um, the, the feelings that come along with that particular decision. So somebody who is much more T versus much more F might um, show up in, in terms of how they're speaking about a decision. So when it comes to uh, confidence in these particular tests, again, I would say, like so many things, grain of salt, um, and know that it's really important as well to not entirely box yourself into these categories, uh, that this is exactly who I am. Um, I do think it's, it's hard not to take it on as part of the identity. <laughs> um, but the Enneagram specifically, what I also really love with that one is that it goes a little bit darker. And what I mean by that is to say that um, the Enneagram can describe these levels of development, um, but also when we're perhaps operating at more average or unhealthy levels, um, and I think that that's important in that there's us operating in our best self, and then there's us when we're, we're really having a hard time and struggling, such as what we did this last year. And with the Enneagram Institute website, once you know your um, type, um, then you can also do a comparison or a compatibility with other types. So it might help you to see in relationships, for example, where there might be some struggles. Um, so uh, I'm a type 9 peacemaker. My husband is a type 8 challenger. Um, and we really are, in so many ways, each other's opposite, <laughs> um, which is one of the great ways that we function is we can kind of fulfill the needs of the other um, in many ways. And there can also be some push-pull where I tend to be a reflective thinker. I like to really think about things and sit with them and process them, whereas he likes to have resolution right then and there. And so he might be a little bit more of the challenger type trying to get the answers. So that, I think, is one of the best parts of these personality uh, tests that we can get is really understanding where some of, again, the, the relationship problems or conflicts can come through. And that includes not just with our spouses, but with family members or friends, where our, our differing ideas of the world or perceptions of things might um, come into struggle. Again, to the Myers-Briggs piece, the, perceptive, uh, the perception versus the judgment, the P versus the J, um, J types are going to want to make their plans in advance, um, and they want to keep those plans, and they like to have that control in their life, um, whereas P types tend to be a little bit more casual, a little bit more spontaneous, go with the flow, simply let life happen. And, um, again, uh, it's not that one is right one is wrong uh, or good or bad. It's simply that these are just slightly different modes of operation. Um, but can they co come into conflict? Oh, you bet, certainly. There might be the type that wants to change their job frequently, whereas the other one really wants to get into their job and be in that job for, say, 15-plus years. 
and um, it, it can it can be a little bit difficult for one or the other when um, they're not quite on the same page. So that is really the big application here, I'd say. Yeah, I'm a I'm a reasonably high J, and I always laugh and say I plan my spontaneity, and it's taken yeah. me years to be able to plan my spontaneity. <laughs> I'm always yeah, amazed right. at a high P what their idea of spontaneity is compared to mine. <laughs> mm-hmm. they'll, they'll make a decision to go to a movie within five minutes. I'll do it in the morning, and to me, that's spontaneous. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's, yeah. it's absolutely fascinating. And as a as a J, I've always been very attracted to P's because they have, mm-hmm. you know, I love that spontaneity that they have to a certain degree. It's fascinating. Right. It really is. Well, this is a lot of information that we've given people. Um, I think it's been extremely um, interesting, and I've learned some things that I didn't know before. Let's go back to decision-making and a little bit about why it might be valuable from a decision-making standpoint, and certainly with some very important decisions that we all have to make in the face of the pandemic and not just the vaccine, but all sorts of decisions why a personality test might be uh, very helpful for someone. I think that personality tests help us to better understand and know ourselves. And that is definitely why I personally have gravitated towards them. Um, And I think that when it comes to this pandemic, how somebody is going to respond to stress might be very different than how somebody else would. And um, I think that one of the the very unfortunate things that I've seen occur over this last year were, say, a lot of divorces or, as we saw, a lot of friendships really um, came into conflict as well. And, of course, there were a lot of extenuating factors to that, um, which, of course, would include the election, would include the racial justice movement, would include just the response to the pandemic itself and so many of the differing things that were asked of us, you know, those who um, refused to wear the mask versus those who were ardent that this must be how we do it. And um, I want to say here that that is one of the big things as we're coming out of this. I hope that we've learned so much about ourselves. I hope that this has given us the opportunity to, in fact, grow and learn as to how we handle conflict. And um, I think that when it comes to, say, the the decision-making process, again, it's identifying what one's uh, needs are. It's identifying what their process is in making decisions. Um, it's perhaps looking at how they have done those things in the past and what the outcome has been for them, sometimes when it's gone really well and maybe sometimes when it hasn't gone as well as we had hoped. Looking at the process behind that, how did that happen? Where did How did we get there? And I think that when it comes to making decisions as going forward, a, a, a topic I would love to touch on coming up here soon would be reentry anxiety. As people begin to re-enter into society again, <laughs> you know, beyond just uh, communicating with each other uh, mm-hmm. electronically, um, 
you know, I think that there are going to continue to be so many decisions that we're not entirely sure of of where we stand and how we want to go about it. And so I think decision-making process also put in um, uh, perspective with personality type, you know, just how you tend to want to interact in the world can be really, really helpful to finding that sense of congruence uh, internally. Fascinating, Noran. Um, I think this has been um, a really fascinating conversation. Can we tell people again, I know that we talked about the Enneagram and the Enneagram Institute. It costs $12, but also the Myers-Briggs that you're, you're um, uh, suggesting that people take. Where would they find that? Right. So the one that I typically like to recommend is, again, the IRD Lab, um, and specifically uh, that would be irdlabs.com slash test dot php um, and that will bring you to the uh, Myers-Briggs type indicator test and again it's it's similar it's not identical to the actual test um, and if you wanted to try to take that specific one then there definitely are resources online for finding that as well um, and uh, the big five as well. I would highly recommend taking that test as well. And if you're uncertain of what the results mean, then that is a great opportunity to, to bring that into uh, a qualified professional to go over your results to have better understanding. Okay. Thank you so much. Today we've been talking about how we make our decisions, our choices, personality, personality tests with Nora Ann Brooklocker. Nora Ann is a local marriage and family therapist with Sierra Sunrise Wellness. Thank you so much, Nora Ann, and I look forward to our next podcast. I do as well. Thank you so much, Sherry. Be safe, everyone. Wear your mask, and please think very strongly about getting the vaccine.